0: There is a mysterious book shrouded in mystery, hardly anyone talks about it, written by a secretive institution that if you can get your hands on it and know how to decode what's in its pages, can help you unlock the secrets to troubling circumstances like those that we find ourselves in today. And the history behind this mysterious book is itself shrouded in mystery and for very good reason, as we'll see in today's video. Our story goes back to the early 1980s, February 1983 in particular, when a fellow by the name of Walter E. Fauntroy was demanding some accountability from Paul Volcker and the Federal Reserve. You see, in the early 1980s, the Federal Reserve was not what it seems to be today. Today, the Fed is, don't fight the Fed, it's a technocratic ideal, the best and brightest minds putting together monetary policies in scientific fashion. That's not what the Federal Reserve was in the early 1980s. That's not what the Federal Reserve is today, as we'll see in this video, too. Instead, the Fed was a joke. People were fed up with the Fed, including Mr. Fauntroy, who was not just some guy. He was a congressman, not just some congressman. He happened to also be the chairman of the House Subcommittee on Domestic Monetary Policy. So, oversight over the central bank. And Fauntroy was relatively highly upset with the conduct of the central bank during the 1970s great inflation because it wasn't just 17 years of inflation it was also several recessions for them up until 1982 and 1983 and the last two of them in 1980 81 82 were especially severe so Font-Roy wanted the Fed to start coming clean. The secretive institution that did all of its its stuff behind closed walls or closed doors, closed walls too, for that matter. They did not want to share how they did what they did because of how bad they did what they did. And Font-Roy said, "You know what? I want the green book. I want the green book given to Congress so we can perform some oversight functions and maybe even put it out in public." And he sent a letter in February 1983 demanding that Chairman Volcker hand over the Green Book. Now, the Green Book is something the Fed did not want to turn over because it had all of its econometric models, all of its projections made from those models, and the Green Book had performed really badly. So Volcker knew he wasn't going to give the Green Book to Fauntroy. Instead, he said... I'll give you something else. I'll give you something else that, that tells you everything that you want to know about the Federal Reserve. What he didn't say was exactly why that was true. The green book the, that Fort Roy wanted, that had all of the secrets and models and, and mathematics. This red book that Volcker offered actually was pretty representative of just how poorly the Fed performed then. And therefore, what secrets really were in it We're about how you decode what the Fed is actually thinking. So we're gonna talk about the secret book, the secret red book that's no longer red, but first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Eurodollar University has research subscriptions available. I do a daily deep dive analysis where we dive deep into all of these topics and not just these books, not just the Federal Reserve, but really money and macro and how those two things go together. And they deserve a deep dive because... There's a lot there, a lot there that people don't know, a history, a way that things work, how to interpret markets and curves and all of those things. So we dive deep into it. And the research subscriptions are available for you at our website, eurodollar.university. This red book that Paul Volcker was willing to give up to font Roy in the early 1980s, that actually began a decade or so beforehand in 1970. In 1970, the Federal Reserve chairman was Arthur Burns, the inflation guy, as he's known at the Fed. And Arthur Burns was sick of listening to the other Fed presidents drone on at every FOMC meeting about their reports on conditions in their own district. So he had this genius idea, and it was his lone genius idea, trust me. He had this genius idea that to save policymakers time from having to listen to these oral presentations, he would just have them compiled into a book. And they gave it a red cover and called it the Red Book. And this tradition came out of basic necessity. Because in the early days of the Federal Reserve, there weren't economic statistics. Certainly not those that we have developed. Certainly not the extent that we've had that we have at our fingertips in today's world. Instead, you think back to the 1910s and 20s and 30s. Not that it did the Fed any good, because again, it was a joke for most of its history. But think back to the 1920s. How would you conduct monetary policy? There's no GDP. There's no there's no statistics on uh, retail sales or incomes. Essentially, you have you have the ability to use your branch presidents and your branch staff to go into the community, to go into the economy, to talk to people on the ground and compile stories and anecdotes about what you think is actually going on. The problem with that process, and it should become very clear, is who's doing the compiling and once the information is compiled, who is actually doing the interpretation? And in the context of the Federal Reserve and its 12 branches and its 12 branch staffs and presidents, you can see why this was such a waste of time. And you can also see why it was a waste of time because the Fed had been doing it from pretty much the very beginning and they had run into two greats along along the way. There was the Great Depression as well as the Great Inflation, not exactly the sort of history that would speak very highly of this tradition, this oral tradition of oral reports at the FOMC meeting. So Arthur Burns said, hey, we're under this inflationary period. These reports don't seem to be doing anything, but we still need to do it anyway. It's part of the tradition. It's part of our rules. It's part of our guidelines. So let's put it into this Red Book. And the funny thing is, they really didn't talk about it all that much. Uh, You go to the May 1970 FOMC meeting memorandum of discussion. All it really says is, in a final observation, Chairman Burns said he found useful the initial issue of the Red Book, and he considered the experiment a success thus far. Now, the text doesn't say whether or not Mr. Burns was smirking, because he probably was at that point, having pulled a fast one, so, so to speak, over especially the Res- uh, Federal Reserve Branch presidents. But either way, the Red Book was born a compilation of these anecdotes and stories pulled from the 12 branch districts and their contacts in it that the Federal Reserve didn't really pay much attention to. So Paul Volcker, when he offered the Red Book to Fontroy in 1983, he was indeed trying to pull a fast run. But the, the Red Book could not have been released in its in that form because it contained the names and the contact information of all these people who were speaking to the various Fed branch staff. So in order to make the red book available to Congress and then the public, as was intended, they had to change it up a little bit, make it more public friendly. And they changed the cover to tan. So the tan book, as it was originally called, now it's called the beige book, was born in its modern form. And no longer was it these oral stories or these these anecdotes compiled by Fed staff. Now it was sort of a communication tool, especially as it evolved through the 80s and into the 90s when people took more determined interest in what went on at the Federal Reserve, the Greenspan era. Everybody thought the Fed was God, so let's pour over all of its secrets that are available to the public. And the Beige Book was one of those that had been made public. And so the Fed decided we're going to start using this as a communication tool. We're not just going to compile stories and anecdotes in the Beige Book, we're going, to, we're going to curate them a little bit in how we think we want the public to, what, what few public people or public members actually follow these that closely. We're going to curate the, the Beige Book a little bit to try to manage and massage the message that we want to send on the real economy. There is a lot of bias in the Beige Book and many people have called it the Mirror Book because essentially the Beige Book is holding up a mirror to Federal Reserve policymakers to give you an idea of either what they're thinking or or what they want you to think if you want to play a next level mind game here. So the Mirror Book or the Beige Book, not only was it made public in the 1980s and 1990s and 2000s, not only did it it, it find its way to the public, it actually does tell us something useful, not just about policymakers, but what they're thinking and what they're thinking at, at particular times and how that might be playing a role, not just in monetary policy, but interpreting the circumstances that we find ourselves within. Because if policymakers can see something, then, chances are that is something that you want to pay attention to. And if policymakers react to that something in a specific way that we need to decode and go through and interpret, that can also be a tremendous signal about conditions as they actually are. Because let's face it, during periods like we find ourselves in today, or 2007, 2008, the data can be somewhat ambiguous. So combining the, the, the Fed's ability to reach into its contacts with its curation, as well as managing the communication, we can decode the Beige Book into something somewhat useful, especially during these periods, as I said in the introduction. And to give you an example of what I'm talking about, let's go back to the Beige Book from September 2007. Remember t- September 2007 there was this subprime mortgage crisis. Something happened in the Eurodollar system. LIBOR was behaving funny. The Federal Reserve had already cut the primary credit rate, the discount window, because of something was going on. And then in, in uh, the September FOMC meeting, that was the first rate cut of what became the crisis period. But before the FOMC meeting happened, the Beige Book comes out a couple weeks before the meeting, and the Beige Book had only one reference to the term recession, which seems odd at first until you understand what's going on here. And the reference to recession, I think, gives you an idea of what is going on here with this mirrored beige book. It said, while several banks noted that commercial real estate markets had also experienced somewhat tighter credit conditions, a number commented that credit availability and credit quality remained good for most consumer and business borrowers. Outside of real estate's outside of real estate reports that the financial turmoil had affected economic activity during the survey period were limited. So the only time the Fed used the word recession in this large Beige Book volume was to reassure the public itself, policymakers, that the fallout from all this financial stuff was going to be limited. We recession people might be talking about recession, but as far as the Beige Book was concerned, or far as policymakers wanted you to think the Beige Book was concerned, it was no big deal. That followed again in October 2007, after the the initial rate cut period, after stocks hit the record high in October 2007, only one reference in the next Beige Book. And it said, some respondents expect an economic slowdown and say they are uncertain whether it will turn into a recession, while others feel that is not a matter of underlying economic weakness so much as consumer confidence. So again, The Fed is using the word recession, not to say that we expect a recession, but we hear people talking about one and we don't believe it's going to happen. The Beige Book in 2008 was even more incredulous. In 2008, the word recession appears a total of five times. Five, five times in all of 2008, which just so happened to have been the worst economic recession since that Great Depression, worse than the one in 1981 and 82 that got Walter Fontroy all upset about the Fed. Five times in the Beige Book in 2008, and three of those times were in the April edition just after Bear Stearns. So you have to wonder what was the game plan here. Since they couldn't really refer to recession in the way that they had in 2007, September and October, it's almost as if policymakers then just stopped using the word altogether because they were like frightened children hiding under the blankets and hoping the dollar monster in the closet weren't gonna, wasn't gonna come and eat them. If we, don't pre- if we pretend there is no monster in the closet, then maybe it doesn't exist. Or a better, a better way to characterize it is the 1980s movie, Beetlejuice. They were almost afraid that if they used the word recession, it might actually happen. If they say it more than five times, and recession comes about. They were trying to portray this confidence in the public in using this mysterious beige book, this joke of a beige book, by at least in 2008, not saying what what was on everybody's mind. Let's not confirm everyone's worst fears. They're using the beige book to convey a message. And when you look through its, how it's used and what words are used and what, how, how many times they're used as sort of a rough proxy of what that message should be, you can also tell what it is that they're really afraid of. We don't wanna say recession because everybody's talking about recession and we're actually somewhat afraid of one. Fast forward to 2023. Let's go back to the word recession. Recession was used. The term showed up five times in March, back when there was a banking crisis, four times in April, nine times in May. That's six, seven, eight, nine. I can do fingers. Nine times in May, only three times in July. And then this latest Beige Book, which came out this week, 15 times, 15 times in just one Beige Book, which is Clearly a different strategy than in 2007 and 2008, but it's different than 2008, but we're adopting some of the 2000 strategy and multiplying it. I'll give you an example here. In the September September 2023 Beige book, here's two mentions of recession in the same passage. Despite the uptick, uh, uptick, sentiment weakened as expressed by one contact who said, the chatter is things are slowing down. We are just not seeing it or experiencing a recession. Large firms with extensive linkages to the broader economy also noted steady activity and no signs of recession. And one more. unbalanced firms continue to expect slight growth over the next six months, weaker than the norm for an expansionary period. Sentiment is divided. A few contacts stated their sectors were in a recession. However, most expressed that there were no signs of recession and many more were optimistic for a soft landing. So you can see what the Fed is doing here. Unlike in 2008, where they just if we don't mention recession, maybe it won't happen. Now they're attempting to confront it head on. But just like September, October, 2007, what they're saying is we're going to use the word recession, but we're going to try to discredit it at every instance. People are talking about recession, but we're going to show you that our contacts say that they don't see one. The question is, are they just trying to fool the public and lull the public into sleep, into thinking that we've got this recession stuff covered in a way we didn't 15 years ago? Or are they actually trying to talk themselves into the same thing? Are they rationalizing recession risks from their own context Because people are talking about recession and now the Fed is talking about recession and it's Beige Book. And it reminds us of Shakespeare's Macbeth and Queen Gert- Gertrude, who was protesting a little bit too much. Is the Fed protesting the recession talk a little too much in September, 2023? So we have this mysterious beige book that used to be read and was tanned for a little while that was born I became public and was born out of continuous failure. And the Fed trying to put a, a, a the, using it to put the most positive face that they possibly can, on the current circumstances. And as those circumstances become more and more questionable, the more blatant and transparent the operation becomes. So in September, 2023, the Fed wants you to know, no recession risk, which tells you that the recession risk must be incredibly high. Why is deflation and recession such a big risk? Find out at the video link below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, as well as all our Eurodollar University members. And until next time, take care.